Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Katherine Van Sickle, the stories-based podcast that interviews donors, thought leaders, and professionals in the field of fundraising. I want to close this season with a heartwarming episode. Today's guest, Katie, tells us about how she went for her dream job and got it. We talk about her rise to vice chancellor for advancement and how this affected her career, family, motherhood, and leadership. She gives great tips for working professionals who are parents and leaves you feeling inspired. As vice chancellor for advancement for the University of Colorado Boulder, Katie Herbert Kutlarchik oversees all campus efforts related to private fundraising, philanthropic outreach, and alumni engagement. Under her direction, the CU Boulder Advancement Team identifies and partners with constituents who contribute their time and talent to advance the university's mission. With CU Advancement since 2010, Katie previously served as Assistant Vice President for Central Advancement and led CU's gift planning and annual giving efforts. Prior to her time at CU, Katie led fundraising for a scholarship program at Georgetown University that supported first-generation, low-income, and diverse undergraduate students. She also served as a director of Org Group, a fundraising and strategy consultancy for nonprofit organizations. A lifelong learner, Katie is currently pursuing her Doctor of Education degree in leadership in educational equity with a focus on higher education. She completed her MBA at DePaul University. She has both an undergraduate and master's degree from Stanford University, where she served as captain of the women's gymnastics team. When she's not working, Katie serves as a Boulder County court-appointed special advocate for youth struggling with truancy. She and her husband enjoy exploring Colorado with their three children. Now let's get started. Hey listeners, it's Keith from Evertrue. Evertrue is the end-to-end solution for insight, outreach, and analytics for higher ed advancement and stewardship teams around the world. Recently, we launched Evertrue Studios, Advancement's very first media hub, where subscribers have access to over 100 hours of free, on-demand, original series and podcasts, all created with fundraisers in mind. We're thrilled to feature the Development Debrief on Evertrue Studios Podcast Network. Check us out at evertrue.com backslash studios. Hi, Katie. So great to see you. Hi, Catherine. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. We met over the summer in Chicago during the Case Summit. Yes, we did. That was very exciting for me. You're kind of famous. So it was <laughs> an honor to meet you. I can only laugh when I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do a great job with your podcast. I'm, I'm a big fan. Thank you. Well, this is a great episode because it's the last episode of season nine and we're closing out the year. So we can keep that in mind as we're talking, but... Today, I really just want to hear about you and your career and what's going on at University of Colorado. So let's start there. You've been at University of Colorado for about 10 plus years. Tell us what role you started in and how you've made your way to vice president. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know it's kind of rare to stay at one place for this long. But I came here to Colorado as an associate director of development in our Leeds School of Business. Um, And I had previously been at Georgetown University, but this was my first real major gift officer role. Um, And I did that for quite a few years until I was asked to serve as our director of gift planning for the University of Colorado Boulder campus. Um, So that was actually a system role. 
So the University of Colorado, we have four campuses and we share some of our central services and we also share a database. And so it's actually kind of interesting that people float between the four campuses and our um, central services arm a little bit throughout their career. So um, I moved to a gift planning role, which I was very excited about and did that for quite a few years. Yeah. Um, and then about a year and a half ago, I um, applied for what we call the vice chancellor or the vice president of advancement for the C Boulder campus, um, which is where I am now. So take us back to the day when you clicked submit on your application. What was the thought process and how long did you consider it and how did you feel? So um, I'm a first time vice chancellor for advancement. Um, and I, if you look through my career and even just a couple of the things I described, I didn't check all the boxes um, and that made applying for this job a little scary. I had some people um, from this search committee call me and encourage me to apply. Um, but I was also really hesitant. You know what? You don't want to look foolish. You don't want to be like, I'm putting my name in and you're not even close to being eligible, especially when it's your own institution. Because mm -hmm. you don't want people to think you're overreaching or something. But someone gave me some good advice and they said, go ahead and put your name in the pool if you're interested, even if your interest is for many years from now. Because then as time shifts and things change, your name might come up again because now you've expressed sort of an ambition or an interest. Yeah. So when I had submit, that was really what was going through my head was this is an aspiration for me. It's something I would like to do as part of my career. And if now is not the right time or I haven't checked enough of the boxes yet, I'm totally fine with that. And I'll learn from the process and I'll get some really good feedback from the search committee that I can then apply to my current position. Um, so that was what was going through my head. It's definitely a little scary. And I think not to be gender stereotyped, but women, I think, experience this a lot of you don't apply for something until you checked every single box. Exactly. <laughs> on the, exactly. On the, on the job description. And so it was definitely out of my comfort zone to apply for something when so many of the bullet points on the job posting, I could look at it and say, I'm not sure I can. I definitely haven't done that. It's going to be a stretch for me to do that. What um, was an example of one of those? Like probably leading a team of that size was maybe one of yes. them. Yeah, that's a great one. Leading a team of this size. I mean, I had, I think, a lot of the fundraising expertise of having the opportunity to work on some really interesting gifts. But for example, I had really no experience in corporate and foundation relations. And that's a big thing that we do. Um, and it's important to know how to do that. I had never overseen an alumni arm, you know, and our alumni association is underneath our advancement enterprise. So I actually remember this moment sitting down in an interview with the chancellor and it was, I think the second round and maybe the third round and the chancellor said to me, so when you look at the job posting, what are the things that you haven't done in the job posting? And I said to him, I mean like half of them. <laughs> and I said, there's a lot of things. And I said, if you choose to hire me, you're choosing to train me on the job. You're investing in a candidate who wants to be here for a while because I see the growth that I could have in this type of a role, but you're not hiring someone who already has all of that experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to be really transparent about that because you can't be who you're not. 
And I didn't want to fake anything and pretend to have things I didn't have. One, of course, they would know because it's my own institution. Um, so all the stories I was telling, they already know those stories. Mm-hmm. But two is because even when I hire people, I try to tell them, you know, I'm hiring who you are today. I'm not hiring, I'm not hiring you 10 years from now because you can't have 10 years of experience by tomorrow. So I know what I'm hiring and I'm going to be with you while you gain that experience and learn new things. Um, And then 10 years from now, you're going to be a different person. That's so empowering. It's acceptance in where you are today. And that's exactly what you would want taking a leap like that to have that support. Yeah, definitely. And it definitely felt good. Like coming into the job, you know, when I was offered the job, you have a lot of um, just imposter syndrome and, can I really do this? And this is so much bigger than anything I've ever done before. But I felt really good knowing throughout the interview process, I had been really authentic to myself mm-hmm. and who I am. And that's who they hired. And then I could come into the job and say, these are the things I know how to do well. And these are the things I don't know how to do yet. And then I could start hiring a team around me. You know, sometimes I say to my team, like, I don't know how to do that any better than you do. So you go be the experts. And then let's together figure out what we need to do. So you get the call that they've chosen you for the job. What's going through your head? When I put my name in, I mentioned that it was kind of an aspirational um, career goal for me. So one of the funny conversations that happened was um, with my husband. So I'm married. We have three kids. Um, My oldest is 11. So they're pretty young. And I remember going back to my husband and saying, okay, I'm going through the second round and okay, I'm going through the third round. And we had to have a conversation to say, are we really ready for this job in our family, right? Because this is a big shift of how we divide responsibilities and the types of parents we can be when you change roles. Mm -hmm. And so I remember getting the offer. And of course, the first call is to him and saying, oh my gosh, they're they're offering it to me, (laughs) you know? And (laughs) you need to talk. (laughs) I really have to talk about this and um, make sure. And he's extraordinarily supportive. Um, He works full-time as well. He's an attorney. And so we do a lot of juggling and balancing, but it was definitely, you know, when you're in a long-term partnership, you can't take on new positions without really thinking about that coordination and balance of your life. This is something that we don't talk too much about on the debrief. And so you know, only share what you're comfortable sharing, but how has that shifted your parenting style? How, what has had to take a backseat and what has been prioritized? It's something we probably should talk about more because I think there's a lot of people in their professional life are building their career at the same time as you're making life choices about, do I want to have kids? Do I want to live in a certain place? You know, do I want to work part-time or not work at all? And what's that going to do to my career path? Actually, side note, I remember when I had my first child, I was just a couple years into my first job here at CU. And I remember sitting down in front of my boss after coming back from attorney leave. And I knew I wanted to come back, but I had been back maybe six months. And I said, I think I need to go part-time. I think I can't, I can't do it. I can't manage it all. And my boss was so excellent. Um, We stayed close. At the time, he said, we can think about that. But first, I just want you to work less. 
She's like, you're working more than hundred percent right now. <laughs> and if you start going part-time and getting paid part-time, you might actually be working a hundred percent and then feel like you're being taken advantage of because you're getting paid less to do the same amount of work. And so he said, first, just try to work less. <laughs> and I've given that same advice to so many young professionals with their first child hmm. because your brain does get quite scattered as a new parent and you have to kind of reset and think about what do I prioritize and what's important to me and how do I balance my life? Um, and I tell my team now, I think I would be a workaholic if I didn't feel committed to my family. And I tell my family, I would be a crazy, crazy person if I didn't have my work. <laughs> so, right. But do you have to balance that? <laughs> it's really challenging. And I don't know if you've ever heard the term like primary parent. So, I have. Yeah, it's kind of like this idea that it's like they get the phone call when the child is sick at the nurse office or they schedule all the doctor's appointments and I am that primary parent. And my husband and I have talked about it a lot. Like I like being that primary parent. And when I took this job, we had to rethink that a little bit. I would say I'm still the primary parent, but to a lesser degree now. Okay. Um, but I still, you know, I make a lot of phone calls for my kids in between meetings, you know, scheduling doctor's appointments or working to, I mean, birthday parties and soccer practice and the carpool and <laughs> all of those things. Um, but I'm not willing to give those things up because it's a way I can engage in my kid's life. That's important to me, but it is, it's different. It's a little different now. So I don't have children and that's something that I've never thought about that in a way that's how you're, I don't want to say controlling. It's not a negative thing, but that's a, that's a way that you are having a huge impact on their life, deciding how they spend their time who they're spending their time with. Yeah, absolutely. And this particular job, like being a vice president for advancement, you have to travel. And I'm sure a lot of people are thinking about, you know, the quasi post COVID realities. Do we have to travel as much? Are we traveling for the right reasons? But you're still going to travel and you're still going to have night events and you're, you're yeah. still going to have weekends. Mm -hmm. And that's hard on your family. And I've been trying to do quite a lot, you know, I think there's two things that really define whether or not you're living your values. As a mentor had shared this with me. So, you know, if you're living your values by looking at your calendar and your checkbook, Ooh. So where are you spending your time and where are you spending your money? And I think a lot about both of those, but especially about my calendar. And so there's days, for example, when I have an evening event that I will go home in that middle of the afternoon when my kids are home from school and I'll take one of them to soccer practice or I'll just eat afternoon snack with them. And I'm privileged because I live only about 20 minutes from my campus, but I'll go home for two hours and then I'll come back for my 6.30 event that's gonna last until after bedtime. Um, and that's ways that I'm trying to live my values through my calendar. And quite frankly, now that I'm in a position of um, influence, I'm trying to signal to my team, you can do these things too. You can make choices and you can really be successful at your career and be ambitious, but also live your values. And it doesn't have to be kids. It can be that you're training for a marathon or you have three dogs or you're caring for an elder parent or you like reading. <laughs> and so, you know, own your calendar 
um, to make it work for your life because, you know, you're one person and you get one life. Being there at the table yep. is important, right? And like finding ways you can be there. Like my son started middle school this year and one of my colleagues gave me this great tip and she said, put a hold on your calendar every day when they are walking home from the bus or coming home from school. So I have like a 15 minute hold on my calendar and I've told him, you can call me in time. And sometimes I'll call him because then I can check in with him right after school. Cause I don't know how it is for other parents, but by the time six o'clock rolls around, like my sixth grader has nothing to say about school. Nothing happened. It was fine. <laughs> so I got, you got to catch them. And if I can't be home, which I've chosen not to be home, right? I've chosen not to be a stay-at-home parent or a part-time working parent. I'm trying to find ways that balance what's important to me. And I do it. It's maybe once a week or twice a week that we actually connect. But knowing that it's there, like, I think it matters to him and it matters to me. Yeah. And 15 minutes, ultimately, you could probably be doing 10 other things, but it's not going to hugely impact your workflow. No. And I mean, again, like it's about setting priorities and setting boundaries. Like you will always have more to do in our work than you can ever get done. There's no time when you just finally close the book and say, all of my work is done. There's no more cultivating. There's no more stewarding. <laughs> no more events to host. Like I've done it all. So just recognizing that and saying, you know, you do your very best. Do you have any other little tips for working parents? I was just talking to someone on my team recently, and we were talking about when you have your first child, try to wait until they're one before you make any really significant life decisions, <laughs> because I think it's really hard. Like your life is just quite scattered. And I've had people like I, like I did, you know, I want to go part-time or I want to quit or I want to move or I want to, I don't want to work anymore. And some people feel really confident and comfortable and go ahead, you know, make those decisions. But if you're like me and you're kind of wavering and like, I kind of love all of these things I don't know, it's good to wait a little while and try to let the dust of your life settle before you have to make changes that you feel like you can't undo as easily. I would also say, you know, one thing we talk about in our leadership team is, um, and I kind of mentioned this, you are one person. And so I really encourage my team to bring their whole selves to work. It's like, you don't get to be one person, the parent and one person, the worker and one person, the, you know, child, that's all one of you. And trying to like dissect that is very difficult. And I think it can be exhausting. So to me, it's okay if you try to bring your full true self and I also think it's part of inclusiveness and belonging is like, don't try to hide parts of yourself. You see, you need to be professional, right? But like, let that self come to work so that your work is part of your life and there's like a flow and it's not just, I don't know, not everybody loves that mentality because they like clear boundaries. But when you have a job like I do, it's like, it's a 24 seven job. And if I was trying to be this person and that person, I would probably forget which hat I was wearing. And just... Yeah. <laughs> well, and the other thing too, is if you are going through something really challenging at home, 
people have more empathy and more patience and more space when they know that they don't have to know every detail but i think i think it's smart to just say i'm working through challenges at, with family or whatever and then people know okay I totally agree. And I think, again, you can do it in a professional way or the way that's true, again, to yourself. Mm -hmm. Some people don't want others knowing their business, but to give people a little heads up, I'm a little tired right now. My kid's not sleeping or, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a little stressed out right now. My parents are going through something and and I'm experiencing what that parent care looks like for the first time. And then what I've seen is when the next person goes through that challenge, now they can turn to that person and say, you mentioned you were, you went through this. Like, how did you do it? Or exactly. like you did, you know, do you have some tips for me? Exactly. So we talked about what you don't have or what you didn't have when you applied, but what do you think you did have that caught the eye of the search committee? Because I, I will say people are really looking to work at institutions where they can grow internally. And I know that's a value for a lot of people. And yet it's not a common occurrence. It's certainly not the path that you had. I know people that have done it, but it's it's not common. So talk to us about what, if any, critical inflection points you worked through on your journey. One really important thing for people who want to grow their career at their current institution is to think about there is a power in staying. There's a burden of staying. There's also power of staying and you gain those, you kind of snowball relationships, you pick up relationships and then you can keep them and sustain them even through challenging situations. So I feel like a year or two, it's kind of easy because you can kind of fake it or you don't really have to do anything hard together. But once you've gone through five or 10 years with the same people, whether that's internal or external, people really start to trust you because you are the same all the time. They know exactly who they're getting. And I think, like I said, that can be a burden because people tend to call you a lot, but it's also powerful because you can really build on the the trust. There's a great book called The Speed of Trust. And it talks about, you know, you can do work, you can do business without trust, but it's more complicated and it takes longer. The speed of trust, that's what it's called? The speed of trust. When you have trust, you can get things done more effectively and faster. You don't have trust. You see really, you know, extensive gift agreements and you see really complicated processes and Mm -hmm. lots and lots of meetings and lots and lots of confirmation. Are you sure you're going to do what you said you were going to do? Have trust. It's a lot faster. We'll say, trust, you can shoot a text message. Shoot a text message. You, you say know, five words. <laughs> yeah, five words. I'm on it. And you're done. Um, so I think that is a really important recognition of sort of the power of staying. I think the other thing is the power of choice. You know, my our lives are in Colorado. We love Colorado. Like we love it as a home. I have, like I mentioned, we've had all three of our kids here we don't really want to leave Colorado. And that means that we're going to make career decisions around that value. And I have, like, there were times where I was in a job that I loved, even if it wasn't super challenging, it was the right job at the right time. And I was not willing to pick up and move and disrupt all of our, all the things we love about Colorado. 
Um, so there is a little bit of that sort of, it's okay to stay put and then kind of monitor the environment. Your careers are very long. You have a lot of years of careers, uh, career. Um, and then when you have that chance to stretch, you have that chance to say, I'm going to take a leap for something um, that fits all of the puzzle pieces. People might have more faith in you because they've seen how you have adapted to different challenges or adapted to different roles or kind of you have that staying power. The other side of that coin, though, is getting pigeonholed or being the person of, oh, that person will always do this extra work or that person will always, you know, make the hard call or whatever it may be. Did you feel like you needed to push against that at all? Yeah, I mean, I think the part I worry about more is like my long-term career. Are people going to say, oh, you were at one place for so long that you're not going to be able to adapt to a new place and all the differences. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think one of the keys there is really to surround yourself with people who ask a lot of questions and are just perpetually curious and not let yourself get stuck into a a mold of, well, this is the way it's always been done, or this is the way it's done everywhere because it's the way I know or the way we've done it. You mentioned that you had the major gifts experience. Do you think that was a really important part of the decision to bring you on? You know, I think so. I think it's hard to be a VP advancement still without that sort of direct fundraising experience. But I think what we're starting to recognize is like the elements that make a great leader are not always all the check check boxes added up together. Yeah. It's like great leaders come from a lot of different places. And I find like, am I expected to understand like prospect strategy? Yes. But I'll tell you like what I have to lean into more every single day are my communication skills and my strategy skills. And that is what I'm calling every single day is, are we moving in the same direction? Do people know what's going on? Do they feel valued and appreciated? Does everyone understand their role? Are we moving toward our goals together? I wish I could work on more gifts every day because it's fun work. But sometimes, you know, you're called to lead in different ways. Have you ever gotten feedback about those things? Like if people said, we don't know enough of what's going on, or is that just a sense that you get? You know, when I first started, and I think it was a product of coming out of COVID, especially um, kind of the, the the remote portion of COVID, there was quite a bit of, you know, we don't understand where we're trying to go together and a lot of concern about our work modality. Are we hybrid? Mm-hmm. Are we remote? Yeah. What's the mix? As a new leader, people are going to test you and they're going to say, you know, do you have a plan? Do you have a vision? And you know, here's all the problems and they're going to try to just like dump them at your feet and be like, Mm -hmm. here's all the problems. Or like, you know, some people try to take advantage of when you're new and they said, send me an email and say, this is the thing I'm going to do. If I don't hear back from you, I'll assume it's okay. (laughs) It's like, um, are you checking to see if I'm reading my emails? Because, (laughs) and I am. And I say, you know, let's get to some time to talk about this. I need to understand more about why you're thinking that's the right decision and where the money's going to come from and things like that. So yeah, I think it's, you kind of identify on the front end, some of the key areas, and then you start to prioritize. Say there were some things I worked on when I very first started that were not the priorities, but it took me a little while to sift that out and say, 
oh, wait a minute, this is an issue that's been an issue for 20 years and I'm not gonna solve it in my first three months. And so I'm gonna take this issue and put it in the parking lot. It's not going away, it's just going on for a back burner. And then you start to see the things that are really more important to solve for. Can you think of an example of a communication change that you've made since you started? There was one thing I did and it kind of, it scared my, my communications team just a little bit. When I first started, I would send out like mass emails to the whole team and say, this is what's going on. Or, and I think we said we have a monthly email that goes out to the full team. You know, we're a team of about 160. So, so we're a good size team. What I wanted was a weekly email. I wanted a weekly email going out from me that said, here's what's going on. Here's what you need to be thinking about. And um, we now do that. We started that when I was only a couple months in. And they've actually built like a small internal comms committee who helps support that effort. And I think it's made a big difference for the team. Like, I don't think everybody reads every week, but I've gotten feedback that it they know it's there and they feel That's like the it thing. the transparency. And at the bottom of my email, there's a little note that says, you know, do you have anything you'd like to tell KDK? And they can submit anonymously that they want through a little Qualtrics survey. So just trying to create those two-way channels. I also started, um, I do a welcome call with every new employee, just over Zoom typically. Yes. And it's usually 20 minutes and we try not to talk about business. You know, who are you? Why did you choose to come here? Um, I think that's been really fun for me. I love that. I would say like across my team, I know pretty much everybody, at least a little bit. And I'm hope and I tell them, you know, I'm on teams. If you have something to say to me, you can always, you can say it to me. And it's a little scary, I think, for leaders to open that door. But I think when people know the door is open, they don't use it as often. I think you're right. Because I've heard that people have opened the door and they're surprised how few do come forward. But then you can always say, the door is open. I've said the door is open. So I think that's great. I love, love the welcome call. That's a great idea. Yeah, that's fun. It's um, hard when you're hiring a lot of people, uh, but it's it's really fun. And I'm hoping it also humanizes me and them. Right. Say, so, you know, I'm not this scary person who has all the answers and all the power. <laughs> so it, is, it is a position of privilege to sit in this chair and be able to have authority. But what I want them to hear and see is that I'm just a normal person too. And I have you know, I have life interests outside of work and I struggle with hard choices and decisions. And it can take every single member of our team to build the type of culture and success we want to see. And that means you, brand new person, are now part of that puzzle. So that's that's my general message. Now all my new employees will know they're all hearing the same message. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's generally one thing that we try to talk about. So you've referred to values several times throughout this conversation, and we are wrapping up the year. We're reflecting back. I love the calendar thing and the money thing, and I think people will think about that. But I'd love to understand how you have become really clear on your personal and professional values. And then I'm also curious to know if those values are the same. Um, they are the same. I saw this great quote, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago, and it said, we are the leaders we have been waiting for. And that was so powerful to me. 
because you can sit in your spot and say, why aren't they doing that? Or I have this great idea, but nobody would ever listen. Or look at all these things they do wrong all the time. And you're kind of pointing. And that quote really resonated with me because it's, you are the leader that you want to see. And so be that leader, be that person. And, you know, I fail all the time. Like I stumble, I fall, I make mistakes. I apologize a lot. I say, I don't know a lot. I ask a lot of questions, but that's what it means to me to be the leader I've been waiting for, you know, to try to be that person and have that sort of growth mindset that we can do better and more together but we all have to kind of rise to our personal levels of excellence, I guess. Are your values something that have just grown with you as you've grown in your life, family and career, or did you ever like sit down and write down these things? So I've, I've sat down and wrote things down multiple times, but they always change and then I always forget them. Right. (laughs) And I think they are time dependent. So the values I lean into in this role are probably different. So the ones I sort of lift up and prioritize, like the the subset is the same, but the ones that I lean into harder, um, I think change based on where you are in your life. I did do a wonderful program called the Institute for Leaders in Development. It's um, for local Colorado leaders put on through the University of Denver. And they had you do a self-growth activity and you really sat down and thought about, you know, what are some of the, the things that I'm really good at? What are some of the things that might always be challenging for me? And then how do I confront those challenging situations? So like one of the things I learned about myself with that reflection was like, I have three triggers and they are when I'm time, when I'm short on time, when I'm tired and not getting enough sleep. And when I think I'm in trouble, so I got my three T's and oh, these are wow. these are three things for me that I know when I feel backed into a corner on any of those three things, I'm going to be challenged to, to like lead with my values. I'm mm-hmm. going to get defensive or I'm going to be impatient. And so that's one thing I that's really stuck with me. And so I have this little mantra to, to respond, like when I'm short on time or I feel like, oh, I just can't get enough sleep. And so I say, be patient, be present, be aware. And that's my like repetitive mantra. I say, just be patient. You're tired. You're feeling rushed or be present, be in this moment. Don't try to be in all the moments. You have to be here right now or be aware, like, be aware of I'm stressed out. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling uncomfortable. Be aware of that. And then try to like, it's almost like a little yoga. (laughs) Yoga. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. This has been so much fun is I guess I'll end with asking if you're working on any exciting gifts that you can tell us about. You know, we have um, one proposal we put out that I'm really excited about. It's still kind of in the early stages, but we have a donor who's considering doing a cluster hire. It's a popular concept right now that you can hire in a particular area and you hire multiple faculty members who are in that space and then they can support one another. 
Um, and in this case, it's really around um, diversity work in our um, Department of Economics. And it's kind of a burgeoning field. And um, it could be really exciting to see that sort of movement because we're thinking differently about how you hire people to do great research in areas that are developing and that are um, really impactful in the world. So I'm, I'm really, I'm excited about the potential of that. So this gift would be chairs for those positions or? It's actually, so it's a chair and then there's, I think like an ass assistant professor and then there's some graduate student support. Ooh. And so it's this interesting sort of collective of trying to build like a little excellence pod in a particular area that we think we're strong in, but that we could really elevate the education and research we're providing. So, Very cool. Yeah. And what do you know for sure, Katie? I love your signature question so much. <laughs> I know for sure that you only have to do something for the first time once. So be brave, take a deep breath and trust yourself and stay true to your values. Thank you so much. Thanks, Catherine. Well, this is the conclusion of year three and season nine of the podcast. I hope everyone has a wonderful holiday season and start to their new year. Take some time to reflect on your values and like Katie said, how you're spending your time and your money. I know I'm going to be doing it. And I just want to end in saying thank you for supporting the debrief in so many ways. I will be back in January, rested, revived, and ready to celebrate season 10. Happy New Year!